You are listening to Rock and Roll Flashback with your hosts, Jumpin' John McDermott and Bill Price. Welcome to Rock and Roll Flashback. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott, and we'll be looking back at some of rock and roll's greatest artists, songs, and stories. Today's podcast is called Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s, Part 1. I will be discussing the relationship between psychedelia and the counterculture movement, as well as some general observations about what came to be known as psychedelic rock. Be sure to check out a companion podcast, Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s, Part 2. In part two, I will go into greater detail about the emerging music and musicians of the psychedelic rock era, as well as the related music forms that have come to be known as heavy metal and progressive rock. When someone mentions psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s, the first thought that usually comes to mind is a vision of flower children using perception-altering hallucinogenic drugs like LSD or mescaline. However, one did not have to be stoned or tripping or high on drugs to appreciate the music or the art or to wear the fashions of psychedelia. Furthermore, there was really no large common musical theme among musicians who created these so-called psychedelic rock sounds. So I would argue that psychedelic rock is simply part of the evolution of rock music as a generation began rejecting social norms and traditional ways of previous decades. I tend to think of it as a transition from the laid-back groovy to the more trippy Far out, man. The beat movement was the foundation of the countercultural movement that emerged in the late 1960s. Beat poetry began in New York City in the 1940s and made its way to San Francisco a decade later. Beatniks focused on topics that clashed with mainstream culture and ideas. From the second half of the 1950s, Beat Generation writers like William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac, and Allen Ginsberg wrote about and took drugs, including cannabis and benzedrine. They raised awareness and helped to popularize drug use. In the early 1960s, the use of LSD and other psychedelics was advocated by new proponents of consciousness expansion. People such as Timothy Leary, Alan Watts, Aldous Huxley and Arthur Kostler were profoundly influencing the thinking of the new generation of youth. The psychedelic lifestyle had already developed in California, particularly in San Francisco, by the mid-1960s, with the first major underground LSD factory established by Owsley Stanley. Starting in 1964, the Merry Pranksters, a loose group that developed around novelist Ken Kesey, sponsored the Acid Tests, also known as Trips Festivals. These were a series of events involving the taking of then-legal LSD. The Acid Tests were accompanied by light shows, film projection, and discordant improvised music by the Warlocks, who would later become known as the Grateful Dead. 
This music was known as the Psychedelic Symphony. Around this time, Don Buchla, along with Bob Moog, were creating the modern modular synthesizer. Don's Buchla box synth modules were used at the trips festivals to create the trippy sounds. The pranksters helped popularize LSD use through their road trips across America in a psychedelically decorated converted school bus. This involved distributing the drug and meeting with major figures of the beat movement and through publications about their activities such as Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Tests in 1968. In the latter half of the 1960s, San Francisco became a hotspot for tens of thousands of youths who shared the common desire for peace and freedom. Haight-Ashbury was the most notable San Francisco neighborhood that drew in almost 100,000 youths during the summer of 1967, who soon became the heart and soul of the counterculture movement. That summer of youth migration in 1967 became known as the Summer of Love. Generally speaking, the American countercultural movement was made up of a large group of people who generally opposed societal norms, commercialization, and the war in Vietnam. Many youths began rejecting mainstream American culture, societal norms, and consumerism. The hippie-style clothing worn was often hand-me-downs bought at flea markets, yard sales, or second-hand shops. The term hippie stuck as a derogatory identifier of rebellious youths participating in counterculture. The anti-war movement was also a big part of counterculture. When the U.S. entered the Vietnam War, more than two million American men were drafted. Hippies who were especially against the war were known as flower children and advocated for peace and love. The peace sign became an anti-war symbol and iconic representation of the counterculture hippie movement. Perhaps one of the counterculture movement's most significant impacts was its influence on pop culture. Fashion, music, and media were all affected. The iconic styles that emerged from the counterculture movement were bright, flamboyant, and less conventional. Bold colors, patterns, and the free-spirited bohemian aesthetic were in full swing. Long hair, go-go boots, collots, miniskirts, bell-bottoms, and the tie-dyed shirts were omnipresent throughout the USA during this time period. The print and television media played a significant role in associating love children and freaks as hippies with a negative connotation. After the Vietnam War ended in the mid-1970s, the counterculture movement died down. However, the media continued to idolize the hippie scene. Pop culture was forever changed with fashion and music taking on revolutionary forms. The media romanticized the movement so much that it would forever be remembered as a time when people felt the most free, which holds some truth to a certain extent. The defiance of mainstream culture helped push other movements forward, such as the civil rights and women's rights movements. As pop music evolved in the 1960s, I would argue that psychedelic rock music incorporated 
one or more of five main features. First, studio experimentation. Second, special electronic audio effects and distortion, particularly influenced by various effects pedals. Third, introduction of atypical instruments such as the sitar, Moog synthesizer, the Mellotron, and the Electrotheremin. Fourth, extended solos and improvisation. And fifth, lyrics with protest and drug reference. Led by the Beatles and their producer, George Martin, musicians began incorporating new studio methods, techniques, and tricks. Starting with a 1965 Rubber Soul album and a 1966 Revolver album, the Beatles and others began experimenting with electronic or non-Western instrumentation, disjunctive song structures, and extended instrumental segments. In the case of the Beatles, just think of the sitar in Norwegian wood, or the reverse guitar drone sound and looped tape effects of Tomorrow Never Knows. Then in 1967 came the Beatles' epic single, Strawberry Fields Forever. Typical pop songs of the 1960s usually had a basic groove running throughout the track, which didn't change a great deal from start to finish. Pop records were either guitar, bass, and drum combos or traditional orchestrated arrangements for vocalists. The music revolution that came to be called psychedelic rock featured exotic instruments, distorted sounds, and complex vocal arrangements. All of this combined to set these records apart from most pop music. Psychedelic rock broke every rule for writing and arranging pop songs. For example, in October 1966, the Beach Boys released the Brian Wilson-produced song, Good Vibrations. Some have attributed the song's psychedelic ingredient to Brian's use of the electrotheremin and cello and to his variation of tempo and key. With Good Vibrations, along with the Pet Sounds album, Brian Wilson was attempting a more experimental rock style with more elaborate recording techniques. Former Atlantic Records executive Philip Rawls recalled, and I quote, I was in the music business at the time and my very first recognition of acid rock, we didn't call it progressive rock then, was of all people the Beach Boys in the song Good Vibrations. That theremin sent so many musicians back to the studio to create this music on acid, end quotes. Please check out the podcast, Brian Wilson Part 2, for greater discussion about Brian Wilson's recording techniques and his influential work on Good Vibrations. Some of the earlier 1960s psychedelic rock musicians were based in folk, jazz, and the blues. Other musicians showcased an explicit Indian classical influence. In the 1960s, there existed two main variants of the genre the more whimsical, surrealist British psychedelia, and the harder American West Coast acid rock. 
While acid rock is sometimes deployed interchangeably with the term psychedelic rock, it also refers more specifically to the heavier, harder, and more extreme ends of the genre. It could probably be argued that eventually the surrealist sounds morphed into the progressive rock sounds and that acid rock led to heavy metal sounds. However, there was so much variety and uniqueness among differing bands that there was no clear transition from one style to another. This has been Rock and Roll Flashback, a look back at psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s Part 1. Be sure to check out our companion podcast, Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s Part 2. There I go into greater detail about the emerging music and musicians of the psychedelic rock era, as well as the related music forms referred to as heavy metal and progressive rock. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott, and until next time... Rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on.